Hello, hello, hello. So who knew there can be up to 27 hormone disrupting chemicals in mainstream period products? It's a really shocking fact that not many people are aware of, considering you're putting period products in or near your body every single month. However, Riley period products, on the other hand, contain zero bleach, toxins or harmful chemicals. And I'm absolutely delighted to announce that Riley are sponsoring my podcast this month. Riley is an Irish female founded period care subscription service for 100% organic cotton products. They believe you've got the right to know exactly what you're putting into your body every month, which is exactly why they started this business. They also don't want to lock you into anything, which is why you can cancel and reactivate your subscription at any time. No strings attached. And they've kindly given me a discount code for 15% off your first three months of period products. Simply head to their website, www.wearereilly.com and you can use the code SHANE15, S-H-A-N-E-1-5 and get your eco period products conveniently delivered to you and when you need them the most. Hello, hello, hello. So welcome to the next episode of the Shane Walsh Podcast. So I am over the moon to announce that we have a brand new episode of the Shane Walsh Podcast and today's episode is the amazing Flora Beverly. So Flora has a very interesting background and an interesting story and we kind of, stayed away from a little bit of it because I think it can be triggering for a lot of people but Flora has come from a background where there was struggles with body image control and food and she started up her Instagram page in relation to that to try and make herself accountable to herself and moving away from that then she's shifted over towards the likes of providing blogs and travel and fitness journeys and recipes and what we spoke about today in relation to the episode was in relation to her shift from going plant-based at simply at the age of four and we also talk an awful lot about the running and the importance of it is for her and her health and her journey we also talk about how to start out running what the tips and tactics some of them are really interesting particularly for uh for females but i think it's it's really really important to uh, the impact of stress the impact of recovery we talk about missed workout guilt we talk about the the importance of fueling yourself for your runs we talk about where to start the accountability how to improve where to improve it's really really useful if you're if you're brand new to running and you're unsure or you're not sure when to start how to start the most important thing is to start and it's interesting some of the little tactics she used to keep herself accountable but also to bring it in with something that she habit stacks and it's a really useful little information there so i hope you guys enjoyed the episode with flora beverly it's really really insightful and really really amazing to hear this story about running because it's not for everyone some absolutely adore and some love it but if you're struggling to find something that you enjoy give running a go it can be fun start small and I hope you guys enjoy the episode with Flora Beverly. Flora, how are we? I'm very well, thanks. Thanks for having me here. Thank you so much for coming on. I know we were kind of we were chatting about the world's most random problems before we were kind of coming on, but it's always good to kind of have a chat with someone before they come on, before we kind of go straight into it. So for anyone who isn't aware of who you are and what you do, can you kind of give us a little bit more of a background on what you do? Yeah, sure. So I am Flora Beverly, also known as Food Fitness Flora on Instagram. I'm an Instagrammer, I guess, YouTuber, blogger, uh, whatever you want to call it. Um, And I'm also a runner. 
primarily first and foremost um, I'm a runner I do ultra marathons but kind of I'll dabble in any sort of distance I only took up running in like 2018 um, and started doing ultra marathons in lockdown actually because I was just really bored and I was like what better thing to do than just be outside all day and that's when I took up ultra marathons and it's kind of taken off since there um, and I talk a lot about sustainability as well that's kind of a major passion of mine um, my background's in biology so it kind of all ties in really nicely with just spending loads of time in the outside and kind of trying to protect it amazing and you mentioned all fair that you're kind of like you've kind of reduced your carbon footprint by kind of reducing your travel because you do you have done an awful lot of traveling beforehand and now you've changed it so what's been the change for you obviously COVID has definitely impacted and that's element of it but what's kind of been that kind of switch for you on that yeah I mean I'm definitely not perfect and um I just try and do what I can I also I, I do like I've, I've been to I went to UTMB this year and went to, to on holiday afterwards but where I can I'll take trains to places so like I took a train down to UTMB which uh, which is in Chamonix in France um which was actually super easy way more easy than I I expected um I took the train back last year so I kind of had a bit of a um bit of an impression of like how it was going to be but I took the train in both directions this year and it was really good actually and you kind of you kind of just got to reframe like the way that you think about it because like before I think okay well the train is going to take me all day basically and a flight is going to take one or two hours but actually in reality when you're spending so much time at the airport and you've got all the faff and all the stress you've got to get to the airport and then you've got the flight and then you've got all the stuff at the other end and you've got the transfers it ends up taking you know six hours or so to just do the flight as well yeah. and you can't you know you can't be working during that time so I just reframed it and I was like actually this is just a work day for me I can be sitting on the train it has decent wi-fi it's way better than it is in the UK and just be working for this whole day and I don't feel like I'm missing out on that time it's actually kind of time really well spent um so yeah it's, it's not been uh it's not been a smooth transition necessarily from doing loads of travel to not doing loads of travel and I've always kind of been conscious of it but since COVID I think again it's been a reframing of like do I actually need to be doing all of this and I'm really lucky in that I've got a lot of opportunities kind of thrown my way to do races around the world and go on trips and all this kind of stuff and sometimes it can be really difficult to say no but actually in the grand scheme of things like I definitely don't need to be doing all of that and so I tried to be a bit more conscious about it and also you know I, I am plant-based and I thought actually what's the point of being plant-based if then you're just going to be flying everywhere all year I, I think I mean, like every little helps, but at the same time, if I can not be doing it, I think I probably should not be doing it. What you said there, Becca, because I, I recently went to London to go and see my brother and it took about seven hours from the time I left my house to get to his door. But if yeah. I'd got a different mode of transport, it would have been a lot quicker. So yeah, it's interesting because I know there's a, there's a go the, one of the politicians over here trying to get that the, the to use the boat on the train to get people over to London and stuff like that, rather than trying to use the plane as a, he's a one, I think he works for the green party. I think whatever okay. it is. Uh, yeah, so the that's problem it. Is always, sorry to interrupt. The problem yeah. is always cost. I mean, like when the flight costs 10 times less than the train, it's a no brainer that people would fly. Trains in England are so expensive. It's outrageous. Um, and so it's something I'm really annoyed about, but because a lot of the travel that I do is for work, if I can get the company that I'm doing the trip for, to pay at least the cost of the flight, then I can either stump up the extra cash for the train or sometimes they'll pay for the train outright, which is amazing. I see more and more companies doing that. And I always try and make a note of it because I would rather work with companies that are kind of consciously 
at least allowing like the people that they work with to be more sustainable um, and not actually not actually stopping them from doing it, which a lot of people used to do in the past. You talk about sustainability there and you can kind of see that you kind of light up when you're kind of talking about it. And you mentioned the plant, the word, the, the sentence or the term plant based. Can you explain what that actually means and why you decided to go a bit more plant based oriented? Yeah, so um, I mean, plant-based is a bit of like a catch-all term for someone who eats mostly plants. Um, I personally eat a completely vegan diet, um, but I say plant-based because veganism is kind of more of a full lifestyle. Like, uh, like I do sometimes wear leather. I have like secondhand leather items and that kind of stuff. So that's why I don't say vegan because it's more of a lifestyle than just a dietary choice. Um, but for me, I haven't eaten. I haven't eaten meat since I was four years old. So that's oh, wow. a long time. Yeah. Um, uh, but I did eat, I did actually eat fish up until about six years ago when uh, my boyfriend and I both decided at the same time to go completely vegan. Um, I'd been studying marine biology as part of my biology course and I'd learned loads of stuff. And I just, I just kind of thought, like, what's the point in having all of this information about the sustainability of fisheries or lack thereof and how it's so difficult to make kind of educated decisions on um, sustainability when it comes to fish because so, so much of it is mislabeled or not caught in the way that they say that it's going to be caught or caught during breeding season or like all of this kind of stuff. What's the point in having all of that information if you're not actually going to do something with it? And so I just thought, well, I might as well give it a go. And, you know, I have I have the financial means to be vegan. I have the freedom and Bristol, which is where I went to uni and where I now live is just amazing for, for vegan food. So I didn't really have much of an excuse. It, it was kind of just laziness more than anything. Um, but I really enjoy cooking. So I, I kind of enjoyed the challenge of, you know, finding new stuff to cook. And since my boyfriend and I did it at the same time, it was, it was quite a lot easier because we could just, you know, talk about it and, and do it together and, you know, make food for each other. And, and it actually worked out really well. What changed at four years of age that, you, that made you go for, where obviously parents were obviously somewhere implemented in there? No, my parents hated it. They absolutely hated it. They used to hide bits of like chicken and and sausages, like chop up sausages really spike small. Spike your food. Yeah, and spike my food. And, and like looking back on that, I mean, I don't think they meant anything bad by it. They probably just thought I would like grow up weak and weedy if I didn't have any meat. But it, I, I definitely didn't have their support. Um, but I don't like meat, uh, which makes going veggie really easy for me. It makes me feel sick. It has previously actually made me physically sick. So it's quite easy for me not to eat it. And the less I ate it, the more um the more kind of extreme reaction I would have to it and like even the smell and like, this was before I even knew what meat was like I didn't know that it came from animals and those, those animals were the same animals that we were seeing you know in the farm down the road from where we lived and and like it, it once that kind of clicked with me when I was probably about five years old once I kind of realized where my food was coming from I was like well I don't enjoy it it makes me feel sick it comes from these cute animals that I'm obsessed with and I like, go and say hi to like every time I go on a walk there's really no point in me eating all this stuff and obviously like you're not that logical as a kid but actually there was there was nothing that was making me want to eat that sort of food and so I just decided not to and it was, it was really easy for me because I didn't enjoy it but my parents like I said had had something to say about it for quite a long time. And how do you manage the trips away and stuff? Because you're you're over in France and stuff, and they just love meat and cheese and wine. <laughs> 
Yeah, wine I can handle. Uh, meat and cheese, not so much. Um, I really struggled actually. When I was at UTMB, it's a little bit easier because, you know, Chamonix is a really active town. And um, in terms of in athletes, there's a much higher prevalence of like veggie and vegan diets. Um, it still wasn't super easy, but it, you know, we managed. When I then went on holiday also in France afterwards, um, I really struggled. And, you know, it, it was a case of buying a thing of peanut butter, which is also really hard to find in France, apparently. Um, buying a thing of peanut butter and just like spooning out the jar to make sure that I was getting enough calories. It was, it was not ideal. But I used to live in Paris, so like I should know, but I still found it really difficult. <laughs> That's mad. Yeah, because you, you, you don't think about it. Because I know that like there's, there's obviously vegan options, veggie options. My mom would be kind of veggie. She doesn't really eat chicken, but like you, you do notice it is a little bit more difficult, but it is a little bit more prevalent. And I think Mediterranean diet is kind of where people should be kind of orientated towards anyway, if they don't want to go completely plant based. Or we, and I had Megan Rossi on talking about plant based. I think a lot of people get confused to what plant based actually means. That there's still some elements of kind of meat and stuff in there. Yeah. vegan is a little bit more orientated towards that a lot of people get away from that so with your training and stuff like that and we'll talk about it in that in a minute how do you manage to kind of get make sure you're getting adequate recovery and nutrition and your protein and stuff like that to kind of recover from your actual training because if you're done if you're doing ultras you need recovery yeah exactly and i i actually think that having done all these ultras it's a good sort of testament to the fact that i am getting you know all the nutrients that I need and that my diet is right now that's been two years I've kind of never felt stronger really as I have in the last couple of years um in terms of protein it, we become so obsessed with eating as much protein as possible but the reality is that if you have excess protein in your body you just wear it out so like you can't there's not a direct correlation between the amount of protein that you eat and how big you're going to get or how fast you're going to get or how strong you're going to get. I mean, up to a point, obviously you need protein, you need a set amount of protein per day, but beyond that point, you're just, it's just waste. Um, and it just gets weed out. So, so we don't actually need like quite as much as you think, but, um, all the evidence suggests that so long as you're eating enough calories from a variety of plant-based sources, you're going to get in the amount of protein that you need. And the question with um, veganism and being plant-based is how do you get all of the essential amino acids? So you've got you know, a range of amino acids and animal-based proteins tend to be complete, uh, complete source of amino acids and plant-based proteins tend not to be. But that doesn't mean that throughout the day and certainly throughout the week, you can't get all of those amino acids by eating just a variety of plant-based sources of protein. And to be honest, like for me, that just makes a more interesting and varied diet. And you can get it wrong. You can get it wrong with veganism. You can get it wrong with eating meat. Um, it just requires a little bit of thought and uh, knowledge. But like if you eat you know, beans and rice, which is doesn't sound very interesting there are lots of ways you can make that a lot more interesting <laughs> beans and rice that's a complete source of protein peanut butter on wholemeal toast that's a complete source of protein so like there are lots of different ways that you can do it and just having that knowledge i think um kind of arms you so that you can actually have a really healthy vegan diet but in terms of variety and overall health and macronutrients but especially micronutrients the diet that i have is really good and is really working for me and it might not be for absolutely everyone but i think all of us probably should be going a little bit more down that route um yeah 
I 100% agree with you. I think Megan Rossi spoke about like a, a kind of almost a challenge, a kind of like 30 plants a week challenge to actually write out how many plants or how many types of fiber and stuff you're getting in, but yeah. it can't be only overlap. So if you have one apple, two apples can't be added as an extra score. It's hard. Yeah. I did it for about two weeks. I was like, this is hard. And but, it, but, it, but it gets you kind of thinking about it. And it I does, think that's, yeah. like, that's the important thing. You know, I first tried to go vegan when I was 15. And I went to, I, I was at a school that, you know, cooked all our lunches and stuff. And they didn't have any vegan food. And so I would just eat the, the vegetable side and salad, basically, of the other food that everyone else was having without like the major part of that meal. And lo and behold, I became anemic and lost loads of weight and it was super unhealthy. Um, but that's because I didn't have the knowledge or the means to actually have a varied diet. And that shows like I've, I've had personal experience of doing it right and doing it wrong. So it shows you can kind of do either way. Um, and yeah, eventually I figured out what works for me and, and that's what I do now. Uh, I think that's great advice that you kind of like you've learned from both sides of it and you've learned what's what, what what works for you. And I think that's important to find out as well. You need to figure out what actually is a sweet point for the individual. And I think what we're going to talk about now is kind of moving into the, the running side of things because ultra marathons are intense. I've never done one. My IT band will not let me. Um, but in relation to running, where would you if you were to start running from the beginning again? and you were kind of giving advice to someone, where would you advise to start and how would you advise them to start? Okay, so I think a lot of people are really intimidated by running and um, I can see why when I first started running as well, I was extremely intimidated and I wanted to be good straight away. Um, unfortunately, our bodies don't work like that. It takes time and it takes consistency. So the first thing I think is getting the right kit um you know people say you can just lace up your shoes and run out the door and kind of to an extent that's true but also kind of like not exactly um first thing definitely shoes make sure that you've got shoes for you know the your your stride your gait but also the terrain that you're running on um people are always shocked when they first start trying trail shoes for example they're like my feet aren't sliding everywhere and I'm like your feet aren't supposed to be sliding everywhere but if you start wearing road shoes on the trails then yes your feet will be sliding everywhere um, but most people will be running on roads, so just make sure you get a good pair of road shoes fitted. Um, women, get a good sports bra. It's not enough just to be wearing your normal bra and like a light support sports bra, yoga bra, whatever it is. Just make sure you get the right one. Once you've done damage to your ligaments and your boobs, that's it. They're not going. They're not coming back. So, so that's one that I think is often missed out because a lot of a lot of running podcasts are sort of male focused. Um, but that's one that I definitely wanted to put in there. And then in terms of training, um, consistency over anything else. Consistency is key. Um, if you're coming from a background of like absolutely no running, definitely go and check out some programs like Couch to 5K. There's an app also called Runner, R-U-N-N-A, um, that kind of looks at your current ability, how often you can run and gives you a training program for whatever your goal is. And the they all stick to this rule called the 10% rule. And the 10% rule suggests that you should not be increasing your mileage by more than 10% each week. Um, and that is because if you go over that, then your body is basically being overloaded and your risk of injury, burnout, exhaustion, all that kind of stuff goes kind of much, much higher. So just by increasing your distance by 10% per week, you're actually going to get some decent distances. Um, when I first started running, I used to do track. And so when I first started doing like running out on the roads and that kind of stuff, I ran 
at the speed that I would run if I was on a track. And I got to the end of my road. I felt like I was going to be sick and I thought I was dying. Um, and what I've learned from that is that when you are doing running, uh, when you start running, you need to slow the pace right down almost as much as you can. And then you can build it back up from there. If you start at a sprint like I did, um, you're going to be really disheartened because you're not going to be able to get to like one kilometer. And if you do, it's going to be really miserable. Um, and I think the important thing at the beginning is actually kind of making it fun and not overworking yourself to the point that it stops being fun because, you know, we we do all of these things because we want to enjoy them. And if they stop being enjoyable, there's kind of no point in my opinion. Um, so yeah, just get out, just get out there, start a program, make sure that you know what you're doing, um, or at least that someone else knows what you're doing and just give it your best shot. doesn't matter if you miss a run or two, just, just keep trying and eventually you'll get there and you'll be amazed, especially at the beginning. You'll be amazed at how quickly you increase in fitness and how good you start to feel. And it does take time. Some people love it as soon as they get out the door. I certainly didn't. It took me like three years to start enjoying running yeah, that's a long time <laughs> yeah no I definitely enjoyed it sometimes um but you know even now I don't always want to get out but as soon as I'm out I am almost inevitably going to enjoy it uh but it does take time for some people so just stick with it and and do your best how do you I think we've all been there when we started to go for a run and that first like I don't know half a kilometer kilometer 5k or whatever it is that voice in our head that just tells us just stop go home just just let's go home how do you deal with that what kind of tricks do you have for that or do you just kind of like are you kind of resilient enough or train yourself enough at this stage just like just cop on Laura <laughs> Um, no, that's a really good point. And, and there's a really good book called Endure. And um, it's by a guy called Alex Hutchinson. And I think he talks about this and that when we train our bodies, we also train our minds. The way that we train our minds is to be able to be in a certain amount of discomfort, not necessarily pain, but discomfort and to continue in that zone of discomfort. And I think in our lives nowadays, we spend very little time feeling like actively uncomfortable. You know, if it's too cold, we'll put on extra jumpers, we'll shut the windows, we'll turn the heating on. If it's too hot, we can put, put on a fan, you can, you know, whatever. You can always deal with discomfort. But with running, you're, you're purposefully putting yourself in that position. Um, and you get used to it. You know, when you train your body, you also train your mind. And I think there was a study actually that showed that people like academics, people who spend a lot of time focusing on one thing, also make for really good endurance runners because a lot of running is just focusing on doing the same thing over and over and over again. And they don't really know whether that's correlation or causation. But the fact is that if you can, if you get good at focusing on one thing, you'll probably also be quite good at running. Uh, so yeah, you'll get better. It, it doesn't happen overnight, but it does happen eventually. And um, ultras are really good, a good test of that because they, they're kind of, they go on all day, but you know, I do, I do as much as I can in really beautiful places. So like there are lots of ways I distract myself. Um, <clears throat> one of my favorite things at the moment is to have an audiobook that I'm obsessed with, but I'm only allowed to listen to it when I'm running. And so I actively want to get out for a run so that I can listen to this like cliffhanger audiobook. Podcasts work really well as well. Um, 
and and that kind of distracts my mind so rather than listening to music I'll be listening to like this crime thriller or whatever it is going on in my ears at that time or a book about running and hearing about people's way more like hardcore um escapades what actually I'm doing um and all of that kind of stuff distracts me from the fact that I'm feeling quite uncomfortable and I kind of just want to go home. Also going from like A to B, so saying like, I'm going to start at my house and I'm going to go to this cafe where I can have a coffee or I can just look at this view or I can go for a nice run in this beautiful place. And all of these things sort of distract you um, as well as if you meet up with friends or say that you're going to go to a particular place with um to meet up with people that you know, you kind of have no option but to make it there. And all of, the, I think, like all of that, having all of those um, tools in your roster, I think are a really good way of certainly starting out. But, you know, even sometimes now, especially in winter, I definitely don't want to get out and run. Like yesterday's interval session, it was pouring with rain and I was just waiting, twiddling my thumbs all day. And it got to like 4 p.m. And I was like, if I don't go now, the place where I run is going to be super busy. So I got out. And as soon as I went out, it wasn't even that rainy, just from inside. It looked really miserable outside. And as soon as I got out, I was like, hang on a second, your skin's waterproof. It's not the middle of winter. It's actually quite warm outside. The rain is actually really refreshing. It also meant that no one was out on the track that I was on, which is great because then I get it to myself. So yeah, I, I think it's just about like reframing um, obstacles as opportunities and all that kind of stuff. How are you going to prepare for them for the winter months that are coming ahead? Because if, if it's bad in September... <laughs> Yeah, I'm not a fair weather runner, actually. Um, when I'm on the trails, I honestly don't care about what the weather is yeah. doing. Um, but when I'm doing road running and like uh, interval sessions, I am I actively really kind of despise going out in the rain. Um, and also I've got Raynaud, so my hands get unbelievably oh, okay, cold. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's where having the right kit comes in, actually, because they say there's no, no such thing as bad weather, just the wrong kit wrong gear um and so actually fixing that and getting some decent gloves and a decent waterproof is a good way of doing it but at the end of the day like your skin is waterproof you're not gonna you're not gonna like disintegrate <laughs> you can't just get outside and do it and like suck it up and how do you work your kind of, do you if you're training in the morning would you go fasted or would you kind of make sure you've got something into your body beforehand um, I always eat before I go. I think there's a lot of um, research into the benefits of fasted yeah. training, but all of that's done on men. And actually, when you look at women and the cortisol levels, um, it's just not very good for us. And whether you're eating like a banana before you go or having a shake, as so long as it's something, it's kind of fine. Um, and then you can have a proper breakfast when you get back. And it feels so good to get back after like a really cold morning session and have like a really hearty breakfast. It's just one of my favorite things. And if anyone's looking for kind of research or a podcast on that, I interviewed Dr. Stacey Sims. And Dr. Stacey Sims talk about that women ideally shouldn't train fasted. But it's completely up to the individual. So if people want to listen to that episode, they can do that. Um, when you're kind of like setting out yourself a goal to kind of like for an ultra marathon or some sort of race that's coming up, what are the kind of the criteria they look for, and what makes you kind of jump at that kind of opportunity in order to kind of make sure you're going to kind of see it through? Because everyone's great at saying that they're going to like first of January buzz, if you know what I mean. It's kind of like oh, I'm going to go to the gym seven days a week and never go again. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, first and foremost, for me, to kind of act as an antidote to that sort of initial excitement and then never go again, um, enjoyment and adventure. That's the reason that I started doing ultra running is the reason that I started doing trail running other than actually I was kind of injured. So I had to start doing trail running. But but in terms of um, 
races, I'll always look for something that I know that is going to excite me and that I'm really, really looking forward to. So almost all of my ultras are in really cool places. Um, a lot of them are in the Highlands of Scotland, just because I'm completely obsessed. Uh, but yeah, if I know that I'm going to enjoy the end result, no matter whether I actually even complete the race or not, if I'm going to enjoy the process of doing the race, then that's a good sign for me. Um, because actually sometimes you don't know what's going to happen. You you can only control the controllables. But if you're somewhere beautiful, then then it kind of makes up for a lot of the negative stuff that goes on. Um, the next thing that I look at is kind of feasibility. Um, is it possible for me? Uh, and I think a lot more things are possible than we give ourselves credit for. Um, but also, is it going to push myself? Uh, is it, it going to push me enough? Um, so last year, I went for a sub 20 minute 5k time trial. And I wanted to go for a sub 21 minute. But the plan that I was following wasn't for sub 21 minutes, it was for sub 20. So I was like, well, you know, if I get if I follow that plan, then I'm likely to get a sub 21. I never would have gone for sub 20 um, if I kind of hadn't sort of been forced to because I didn't actually think it was feasible. But at the end of the day, I got it. And it was amazing because it made me realize that actually I can do so much more than I think I can do. And I, I know that I can push myself on ultras, but in terms of fast things, I do sometimes struggle. So it was really, really great to be able to do that and you know work for 12 weeks on something really hard and then achieve it at the end of those 12 weeks um and then the last thing really is like what needs doing so these probably aren't races that are gonna spark joy and you know fill me with excitement but actually ultra running kind of makes you slow <laughs> um so sometimes i need to go back and do some fast road runs and they are definitely not the thing that that kind of sets my soul on fire but they're going to make me a better ultra runner. And at the end of the day, that's what I want to be. So, you know, at the moment I am hoping to be doing a 10K time trial in about 10 weeks time. And that's going to be the start of like actually getting a little bit faster before I then start to go longer again. Um, so yeah, like whether I need to work on pace or strength at the gym or mountain running, that might be um, like how I set myself some of those goals. But it, But mostly it's about enjoyment and adventure. And I think, yeah, that's really important. Sub 25k is bananas. That's nuts. Um, but I think the big thing that you've said there and kind of alluded to a good bit is kind of like you're almost like habit stacking. If you read Atomic Habits, like you're you value kind of scenery and beauty, all that kind of stuff, and you're linking that with the running. But the bit I can't get my head around is that you stuck with something for three years you didn't enjoy. So <laughs> that I can't get my head around is like, why stick to something for that long? I think running is kind of like um uh slightly abusive sometimes because it's a mental abuse yeah yeah because but, but you'll be hating you hating it hating it and then you'll go on one run and it'll be like the happiest you've yeah. been in months and you're like oh this is what it's about and then you spend the rest of your time like chasing that same high and then you'll get it again like three months later and you're like okay well I've done three more months training most of which I wasn't loving and then you eventually have this one run that you're like oh my god it's all clicked and actually every time I do a race I get that pretty much every single time and it becomes more and more frequent like the fitter I get and the better at running I get the more frequently I have a good runner's high or or just generally like having the time of my life and I don't I think it's a little bit unfair to say I was hating it for three years that's not entirely true I certainly hated it at the beginning 
and I had more bad runs than good runs at the beginning. Um, but there's something really rewarding about pushing yourself and then actually achieving goals that you never thought were possible. And that's kind of what I've been chasing since I started running. It's interesting you said that. Had have you have you heard of a book called The Expectation Effect by David no. Robson? So David Robson's a scientist, and in that book he talks about with athletes that were and even with they did, they did studies on individuals like general population and they got them to do tests and a lot of the people that were doing the tests were actually achieving more than they actually thought at the beginning they're kind of like if we give you this pill there was nothing in the pill you'll actually achieve a lot more and then the person that took that pill probably beat their pbs by like 10 15 percent those numbers i picked out of my head they're not the exact numbers but we are we kind of like limit ourselves almost so it's interesting to hear that you said that as well with running and injuries it i'm not saying there's it's higher i'm not saying it's lower it depends on the individual and where they're kind of starting from as you said getting a decent pair of runners is huge having a decent physio is huge and having decent strength training is huge but how do you kind of get over that missed workout guilt or run guilt that's kind of like a lot of people beat themselves with that stick so it depends why i've missed a run so I, I think there's a lot to learn from things that don't go perfectly to plan and probably more to learn from things that don't go to plan than things that do go to plan. And the first thing I ask is like, what can I learn from that missed run? Why did I miss that run? Is it because I was injured? In which case you probably shouldn't have gone for that run. So it's a great thing. You can pat yourself on the back that you didn't because a lot of runners are really bad at actually taking time out. Secondly, was I overtrained? If I was overtrained, again, I probably shouldn't have gone for that run. So it's perfect that I didn't and I can rest up and then get back to training next time. If I didn't go for a run because I was lazy or because I just really couldn't be bothered, what can I learn from that? Was it because I'd had a really stressful day and I'd waited to the end of the day to go for my run rather than getting it done at the beginning of the day and getting it over and done with and then starting my day? Because actually, I think that's a lot easier than waiting all day to get out and then eventually trying to drag yourself out after a really difficult day at work. Um, some people that works, other people it doesn't. Um, and I think you've got to remember that running is a process and not a single run. And it, it probably doesn't matter if you miss one run, but to not learn anything from it is always a mistake. So you just got to try and think like, what can I learn from this? And how can I stop this happening in the future? Whether that is reducing your training volume or having a rest day or a rest week, um, you know, uh, going and seeing a physio so that you're not injured anymore. There are so many things that you can do and it completely depends on the circumstances that you find yourself in. Um, but I try not to feel guilty because guilt doesn't really lead to any sort of action. Um, it's much better to kind of um, uh, purposefully think through the reasons why you've done something and try and come up with a solution to that to stop it from happening in the future. Yeah, I think when you think of guilt, it's kind of like you've done something wrong. Because if you think of it like people are in prison because they've done something wrong, they're guilty. So it's kind of taken away that blame from yourself for getting injured. Like I sprained my knee from football like two weeks ago, but it was wasn't anything that was that I did. It was just a hard ground and my studs got caught in the ground. Right. There was no point in blaming myself for that. I know you're you come back a little bit better. Rest days, how important are they kind of for you? And what do they and how often do you bring them into your own training? So rest days are vital, I think, not just for me, but kind of for everyone. Yeah. Um, that is active recovery for you know people who are seriously fit or actually complete rest. And for me, it 
it varies. Um, sometimes I will have a really like slobby sit on the sofa, watch series or just, you know, hang around in the house most of the day and just take my dog for a couple of walks. Or uh, sometimes I'll have a much more active recovery day where I'll kind of go out for a bit of a walk, you know, a bit of a longer walk and I'll be on my feet, but I won't actually be doing any running. And what I do depends on my training at that moment, how fit I am, how much recovery I need. When you do a lot of running and when you are quite um, experience of, like doing training programs I think you start to realize which sort of rest day you need um, and like I said before runners are kind of notoriously bad at taking rest because they feel like it's time out from their training program but rest days are part of your training program they are not time out they are an active kind of scheduled event and the event is rest and if you don't do it you will pay for it later and rest days are when your body assimilates all the training that you've done and so if you don't have that rest you don't get the assimilation of the training you don't get all the benefits of the training and I think people find that really difficult to wrap their heads heads around um but rest is so important and I think it, it takes I think it's 24 to 48 hours for your body to like properly recover from um hard training sessions so your body is still doing stuff with the training that you've done on that rest day so you still need to be like eating loads of carbohydrates to replete your glycogen stores you need to be eating protein to um, make the most of all the training that you've done you need to be eating enough fats um, a lot of people I think also try to reduce their calories on rest days and um, if you're having like one or two rest days a week you won't need to do that because you'll still your body will still be burning at a higher rate thanks to all the other training that you've done that week and if you don't eat enough you're not going to be able to do your future training sessions as well as you could so um yeah it's really important I don't think it's something that everyone always gets right I certainly don't always get it right um but when I do get it right I really feel the difference I think one of the sentences that I heard that kind of really was a game changer early on for me was that you actually get fitter when you're resting it's not actually during the activity itself. You think it's like when you're doing the 5K or the 10K, that's when you're getting fitter. It's actually during that kind of rest period or sleeping. It's why athletes prioritize sleep. It's why like some of the, the big football teams over in the UK have sleep chambers on the side of the pitch. Like recovery is huge, but we don't, sometimes we just get caught up in it. We get extra motivation. We want to push ourselves and push yeah. ourselves, but you're better off going slow and steady and actually sticking with something. The, the the last question I'll ask is in relation to kind of someone's kind of looking to improve somewhere. I know you mentioned the 10% rule earlier. Where would someone, where would you advise someone to improve their times or improve the distance, which is better for the individual or does it depend? Oh, it completely depends. Um, I think at the beginning, you'll be able to improve both at the same time because you're coming from quite a low baseline and you're working your way up towards um you know, consistent running. So you're going to get faster and you're also going to be able to run further. After that point, I think it's completely up to you. Like, do you want to have a really fast road, 20, uh, 5K or 10K or half marathon or marathon? Or do you want to be going further and doing things like ultra marathons, three-day ultra marathons, five-day ultra marathons, that kind of stuff? It completely depends. Like, what do you enjoy and and what do you see yourself doing in the future? Um like I said before, I try and alternate between doing faster stuff and slower but longer stuff. Um, and I think that keeps me a better, well-rounded athlete. Because um, if I if I just did one, my body would stop improving after a while. And if I just did the other, the same thing would happen. So getting a bit of a mix is always good for me. And also, I think just like variety is a spice of life. So mix it up. 
<laughs> what if you if, if if you were to be starting again with kind of like a, a 5k where would you kind of start off where would you, your advice be to start with someone who's kind of or advice to someone that's looking to start with a 5k um i don't know i think people want to do it all at once people get really motivated at the start of a training program and they're like i want to run a 5k today now and i think just take it one day at a time um follow a program don't overdo it don't underdo it stay consistent you'll get there eventually just start with one kilometer it's the biggest piece of advice is just start one kilometer because I think once you get past that, you're kind of like, right, I can do this. It's almost like a confidence building exercise, like laying the foundations of a house. And I yeah. think, as you said, people just want to go out. So they want to be like, I don't know, Linford Christie or Mo Farah or something like that straight away. They're not going to be that. But yeah, I, I was definitely exactly the same. Um, so I think you're we all are. <laughs> I think we're all egos. We all have egos. Uh, Flora, can I thank you enough for coming on and sharing the, the the journey that you've been on and the the ultra marathons, the kind of going from kind of like the 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 plant based stuff as well, which is huge, and, and giving your advice around running. Where can people find out about your channel? Where can people find out about the vlogs? Where can people follow you up on social media? So my Instagram is probably the best place to start. Um, it is at Food Fitness Flora. Um, I've also got a YouTube channel where I record a lot of my training runs and all of my races as well. And that's just my name, Flora Beverly. Um, but that's also linked to my Instagram. And then I do have TikTok, but I wouldn't recommend following me. <laughs> I, I, can't, I can't bring my heart to, into TikTok. I'm too old for that shit. I hate it. <laughs> I'm too old for that shit. Uh, Flora, thank you so much for, for coming on. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I really hope that you have enjoyed that amazing episode with Flora Beverly. If you have found it useful for yourself or for your own training and running, please share it amongst your friends. I know runners has a little bit of a community, so please do share it amongst your friends. If you found it interesting, please share it. Please tag it up on your story. Please tag us up on your story. The more people that listen to the podcast, the more quality guests I can get in. I'm looking at, we're coming up to we have 300 episodes recorded and it's amazing to see and it's 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 a credit to you it's a credit for the support that you've shown for this i just want to say a massive thank you to everyone who has listened to any episode of the podcast so please continue to support it and i'll continue to do what i can with the podcast so if you enjoy it please tag review share and i hope you guys have enjoyed the episode of flower beverly